Hi, everybody. Excited to launch into our teaching for today. We are on location at Herb and Fire Pizzeria in Granville, Michigan. This is the nearest fiery furnace I could find. It's the fiery furnace that makes some really tasty pizzas from this pizzeria. So uh, the crew and I are going to dive into some of these pizzas after we do this opening devotional part right here. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 are thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, not like the furnace behind us. That furnace behind us cooks the delicious pizzas, and that gets to 600 to 800 degrees, and a pizza is going to come out of it in five minutes, toasty and delicious. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are most likely thrown into a kiln, a huge kiln that's set up on the plains of Babylon. Now, kilns today get up to 1,800, 2,000 degrees when pottery is fired. The kiln that they wound up being thrown into, well, it was huge. There was a big opening at the top that smoke could come out, and on the bottom side, there would be openings that they would load the mud bricks that were going to be fired. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 mud bricks were going to be fired in those kind of kilns. Well, that's what they were thrown into. And as we study Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we study Daniel 6 when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, we find that when we face these difficult situations where we wind up in settings we don't want to be, you are not alone. You are not alone. Don't you dare forget that. And here's something else that is really interesting. When it comes to the imagery of fire all throughout Scripture, the imagery of fire winds up being one that's equated with God, actually the holiness of God. In fact, we wind up learning early on that God is so holy that God is unapproachable. But that's not the desire of how God wants his holiness to impact our lives. God wants us to approach. What God wants for us to experience is, well, he will actually, on occasion, put us in the fire to purify us. The kind of fire where we go through the tests and the trials and the different seasons of life that we are God's artwork. We are God's art prize. And so as we are clay in the hands of God as the master potter, we wind up going into emotional and relational and spiritual kilns, so to speak, so that God can take away any kind of the impurities. And know that there are times when you feel like you're in the fire you are not alone. You've got the master that's at work in your life. Or if you find that you've been sent into the fire because of just the ways of this world and the fallenness and the brokenness around you, know that your God shows up to meet you in that moment. Can't wait to dive into the word and let's walk into the fact that there is hope in a hostile world and you're not alone. Well, you've been welcomed a couple times, but I want to say thanks for those of you who are connected outside of this room, and you look great in the room. If King Nebuchadnezzar, if Nebuchadnezzar the Great had a soundtrack rolling in his mind, I think it would sound a little something like, all I do is win, 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 no matter what, 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 got money on my mind, yeah, you know, never get enough, and on a, you know, when I walk into the room, everyone's hands go, 
up. There you go. There you go. I was waiting for it. I wondered who would buy it. Woo! I, 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 had, I had to Google the lyrics. I had no idea. I don't even know if this is uh, appropriate on a Sunday morning to uh, share that song or not. <laughs> but that's what's going in the mind of the one who is. Things are floating around Nebuchadnezzar. And the lives of people who love God dearly are trying to figure out how to navigate around this king. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 feet wide, 90 by 9, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now we're going to hit a bit of Babylon, a bit of Nebuchadnezzar, and a bit of what it means, that image concept. He then summoned, check this list out. This, this list gets repeated constantly in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 could be way shorter if, there was, if, if, if the list weren't repeated. And this is one of the lists because the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials could come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And then the very next verse. Uh, so it says that crowd again, and uh, everybody stands before this image. Uh, just note the repetitive dynamic. There is so much pomp and ceremony. This is a big deal to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let's do a little bit of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a great builder. He built the Ishtar Gate. There's no image of that that I have for you. He built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He was an incredible military strategist. When he would take over a kingdom, he would tend to consolidate that kingdom under his reign. Um, he uh, then wanted to culturalize people into the Babylonian culture. So that's a lot of what's taking place right here. It's like, hey, I'm taking the best of here and the best of there. And this moment of everybody bowing down to the image. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's an image of Marduk. That's a really odd image. Uh, 90 feet by 9 feet all in all. But Marduk is the patron god of Babylon. They were very pantheistic, so there's lots and lots and lots of gods. But Marduk was kind of the best of the best. Uh, Marduk was the real utility god, that, you know, the god of justice and compassion and healing and regeneration and magic and all those kind of things. But Marduk in their mind was the one who was one of the sons of God who went and defeated this evil beast with one horn known as Quingu in the battle of, of the cosmic gods before there was the earth and then out of Quingu, uh, out of Quingu's eyes came the Tigris and Euphrates which Babylon is in the center of and then Marduk went to creating humanity by plucking it out of the dead body of Quingu. There you go right there. That's, that's, that's real interesting. So when, when, when we hit things like that, let me, let me just pull this off in a minute because because there's a real difference between our God and any other God in creative elements. So all the time you hear of these other gods, but they're always creating out of conflict, wars and battles. Our God just creates out of sheer joy. Out of the joy and the creative work, our God's able to create beauty and order out of just nothingness or even chaos itself. And then then it's always out of the dead bodies of fallen foes. And, and th these are things that are just outside of the concept of who God is. We're going to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, 
So Nebuchadnezzar ruled for a long time, 40 plus years. And he, he ruled 40 plus years and he you know, was a young man when he became king, but it was sometime in his 20s over a vast territory. Now, other kingdoms, as you look at the map, we go, well, you know, it's, there's other kingdoms that I know of that are bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Here's, here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar's smarts. He goes, that's enough. He, he actually went down to Egypt, God defeated him, went, ah, I don't want to go down there anyway. He, he was so large and in charge of the Fertile Crescent and the land of Judah and the hinge point of three continents, he had no rivals. No rivals. And so, got money on my mind, can't never get enough. Boy, boy had bank. He was... He was well put together. He was smart. He was strategic. He incorporated all the good stuff from other places. A bit of a romantic at heart. That's why he built the Hanging Gardens. His wife was from the area of Medea, which is up near Azerbaijan, near northern Iran. And uh, if, I, if I'm getting my countries right, that uh, Babylon's 60 miles south of where Baghdad would be now, it'd be like a 20-hour car drive. And you go, oh, dear. Let me, let, me, let me build you a little something like home. So he built these amazing hanging gardens. You're kind of seeing just uh, where, where it's believed those gardens had been is what we're looking at right now. Uh, he seemed so ruthless <laughs> in the book of Daniel. And yet we realize he's also utterly brilliant in, the, in, in, in his madness, in his beastliness as well. All right. We did Nebuchadnezzar. We did Babylon. Let's do image. Those are three key concepts that pop up in the very first verse. The Hebrew word for image is pronounced selim. Okay, saying that, here we go. Selim, just like selim, that's, that's it. And it, its root word is simply sell, which means shadow. So an image an image is known as selim. It's, it's a shadow. Where have we come up with image in God in the past? So we go back to the book of Exodus. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Commandment number two, don't make any images of me. Why do we not make any images of God? So, so, so this is going through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know this. And then why don't we make any images of God? Because when God created, God created humankind, both male and female, he created them. And he said, let us make humankind in our own image, in our own likeness. There is no necessity for an image to be made for God because you're it. You are the royal image of God. You are image bearers of God. We're going to unpackage that a little bit more in a couple of weeks. But this is going on in the minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as they are given this ultimatum to bow down to this image that has been set up to a Babylonian God, they're going to go, this is not how we roll. And they don't bow down to that God. Um, There's another repetitive dynamic that pops up. And it, it says this in Daniel chapter 3. Now, all, the, all that big crowd's gathered around, and it, they got a band. And it says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of musical instruments, and you hear that list again and again and again. It's like, again, there's a lot of pomp and ceremony that's involved. 
It's really special when there's a band, isn't it? It's really like, hey, we got, we got a band, we got dignitaries, we've got all these kind of things going on. And then as this is taking place, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not participating in this worship experience, hey, king, king, there's some Jews whom you've set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, they, they pay no attention to you, O king. They pay no attention to your, to your laws, to your decrees, to your gods. They do not worship the idol, the image that you have set up. So as we connect the dots here, what we begin to understand in a political sense as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have political positions in the government, people are jealous of them. And people who thought that they had been bypassed by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's fast rise are, are telling on them because they're not participating in this worship experience. I know one of the things that comes up is, well, where, where's Daniel in all of this? It's, this is a chapter that we hear nothing of Daniel. You know, is he away from this moment or whatnot? And he, he, this is what I think. I think it's like, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't the only Hebrew people not bound down to that idol. They're the only ones that just got told on in this moment. Daniel would have been bound down. Others wouldn't have been bound down. But these are the ones that were brought to the king's attention. Um, so what happens in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, they're linked together. It's a repetitive theme that we need to understand in regards to hope in a hostile world, that when you get thrown into difficult situations, whether it's a fiery furnace or it's a lion's den, and know that there are probably a good 40 years between the fiery furnace and the lion's den experience, meaning this. And it's a whole different government. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. There's Darius, who's the king of the, the Medes and Persians now at this time. What, what we're beginning to understand is it doesn't matter what government structure, it doesn't matter what generation, there is always going to be politically motivated issues where people wind up wanting to put you into a difficult situation when you take a stand for God. It doesn't matter what the time frame, it doesn't matter what the government, these things happen again and again and again in the lives of the people of God. So let, let, let's hit this. When it comes to images, when it comes to idols, here's the things that we wind up facing, that we wind up seeing that are going on. There's great pomp. You're like, can you, can you say pomp? Here we go. Pomp. That's just fun to say. Pomp and ceremony. It's the band. It's the dignitaries. It's woohoo. It's all that stuff. And then uh, we wind up connect, finding there's politics right in the middle of it. Go say politics. But you got to say like politics like that. You ready? Politics. There you go. It's in the middle of this. And then what is, what are they seeking? They're seeking praise. Go ahead and give a shout out of praise. Praise. We've been praising today. We've been praising with all kinds of instruments, and we've been praising with our minds and hearts, but in the middle of it, might I say, and isn't this poignant for our time in regards to us having hope in the world that is hostile around us, to know that there are images that are set up that are seeking great praise and adulation. There's all kind of pomp and ceremony about it. In the middle of it is politics. 
So it doesn't matter what your politics are, if you like red stuff or blue stuff or donkeys or elephants, whether you're in this nation or some other nation, what the word of God teaches when we make an idol, an image out of politics, that ain't the game we play. We don't, we don't bow down to the idolatry of politics. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the people of God and all, we, there will, political things will affect us. We will participate politically. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were political participants. Here's how they participated. They served the one who was in authority. They served with great distinction. And they received honor as they did. Whoever's in charge. But they didn't bow down to the idolatry of the God of politics. That's a false God. Does that make sense? Are we experiencing that today? I hope we get to walk out with a deep understanding of, I don't have to bow. I don't have to... There's going to be all kinds of pomp and ceremony. There's going to be all kinds of seeking your praise and adulation. Just go, yeah, politics happen. They're going to happen. And you get to serve whoever's in authority. And you get to stand for God. May I share how we're going to attempt to do that best? This is like an announcement, but it seems such a practical application that this is the, this is the place for that. It so happens that the township where those of us who are in the room, there's, uh, our, our township's going to vote in this room and in this building two days from now on Tuesday, November 3rd. Uh, we have always in past moments had prayer, prayer, prayer time here until four or five years ago until we started voting here. We went, oh, that felt weird because we would rather pray than make it a place. So I, I'm going to say this. So, so what do we do as a church family? We didn't ask. Oh, please make this the voting location of the township as an outreach event. We didn't ask. We were asked if we would host it, and we went, can't you find a better place? Because we'd rather pray here. And they went, no, this seems like the best place. And we go, okay, then we will take the posture of serving in that way. So we're going to pray the night before. So if you can show up, we're going to pray the evening before, and we'll have a prayer time where we humble ourselves before God and we seek God's face and we pray that God will heal our land. Then on Tuesday, the day of the election, we've got Rosa Parks Circle reserved and we'll go pray there. We're not going to take the main stage. We're going to kind of go off to the side, have a little sound system, and the goal is not that everybody in earshot is going to hear us or notice us, but we want to be together and we, in, in an iconic location in West Michigan, we're going to pray for our nation. And, and I hope that you're able to join us. If you're not able to join us, that you take the posture of the spirit of prayer. And guess what we do when we do that? We don't have to bow down to the idol of politics. We get to seek God's face. And I can't wait for us to do that together. Hear the words of, of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're threatened with a fiery furnace now. 
And they say to Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your hand, almighty king. And, and this is really odd because the soundtrack in Nebuchadnezzar's mind is all I do is win, win, win. And it feels like not a win right now. He does not, this does not compute. He does not know what to do with this. And then, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or bow down to the image of gold that you have set up. And then it says the countenance of Nebuchadnezzar's face, it cha- his countenance changed because he was, hey, I got, I got, I got a winner of a situation for you. And we got all the dignitaries around and the band striking up again. And here's your moment. And his countenance changed. And he, it was like he got so hot and enraged, he wanted the fire to match the hotness within his spirit. See, they struck up the band again. And I wonder if in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's spirit, as they hear the band struck up again, if Psalm 150 doesn't come to their mind, praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. And so when they heard the sound of all those instruments, at the sound said, praise him with the sound of the trumpet and the heart and the flute and the lyre and the timbrel and dancing and strings and with pipes and the clashing of cymbals and resounding cymbals. If they're going to go, I'm, I, I, hear, I hear the sound of the world. I hear the sound of the image. I hear the sound of the idols. But in my spirit, I'm praising God. That's what we're supposed to have. And King Nebuchadnezzar, they're thrown, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And the fire was so hot, it took the life of the guards who threw them in. And then Nebuchadnezzar, after a while, leaps to his feet. And he's amazed. And he asks his visors, weren't there three <laughs> that we tied up and threw into the fire? You love, you love the sound of the yes men around Nebuchadnezzar. Certainly, your majesty. <laughs> yes, yes, king. And he said, look, there's four. And the fourth, of one, the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. You are not alone. I know we've talked about a lot of stuff. You are not alone. Alone. You have the presence of God. You have the power of God. You get to praise God. I'm going to ask you to have an honest moment in just a moment. But right now, would you just say, out loud, you are not alone. Here we go. You are not alone. Well said. Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel was given the answer to the dream, was all about the wisdom of God. Daniel chapter 3, likewise, its companion, Daniel chapter 6, is all about the presence and the power of God, and you are not alone. You are not alone if you are quarantined. You are not alone if you have contracted COVID-19 and are isolated. You are not alone if you are in the midst of the crowd and everybody is bowing down to some idol of this day and age. You are not alone if you think that nobody else knows your aches, 
your pain, your sorrow. Jesus is known as a man of sorrow and acquainted with every kind of grief. He was, he understands physical abuse. He understands his family turning back on him. He understands a closest friend's betrayal. He understands physical, emotional, spiritual exhaustion. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And in a greater understanding, as we understand the triune God, he says, the Holy Spirit has been given to you that will give you comfort, that will give you counsel in time of need. Here's the honest moment. And just by raise of hand, and, I, and I, if you're not in this room, physically raise your hand in response. Do you feel like you're standing alone in some capacity in your life? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Do you feel like you're standing alone? Yeah. Do you feel like you're walking into a fire? Just raise the hand. I feel like I'm, that, that, one, that one hits. In Daniel chapter six, he was praying alone. Do you feel like you're ever praying all alone? You're the one, yeah. Do you ever feel like you're thrown into a den of lions? Can you raise your hand? It's nice you raise your hand with smiles and laughter. I think you need extra counseling. Um, <laughs> and then Nebuchadnezzar says, come on out of the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there's another list that was given of every article of clothing that those young men were wearing and not a hair on their head nor anything on them was singed or smelled of smoke. This Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I want to tell you one, one story. It's a big one. I encourage you to press in and find some more stories or dig into this one. Richard Wormbrandt and his wife, Lutheran pastor, Romanian pastor, I believe the year is 1945. And communist Russia is really dictating what is taking place in Romania. And as the state takes over the church, the God is dead kind of concept is placed before. Richard Wormbrandt is, uh, has been doing all kinds of things through World War II to declare the name of Christ and to be a shepherd in his region. He is highly esteemed. His wife is Sabina. And they call in to a radio broadcast the leading voices of the church in Romania, and they're all to give the, the company line. Not so much that God is dead, but we're gonna get, basically that's where it's gonna go. We're gonna do whatever the state says. We're, their, their lives are on the line as they give their little devotional thoughts. Sabina nudges her husband, Rich, and said, how long are you gonna sit here before you say something? And he says, if I say something, you will lose your husband. And she said, rather that than have a coward for a husband. And he gets up. And he goes to the microphone in that radio broadcast moment. And he declared that the people of Romania, that their Lord God Almighty is the one who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins. 
and rose again in the Bible as God's authoritative word. And really there's nothing else that we need to be declaring other than that. He got five minutes in before the mic was turned off and they ended the radio broadcast. He quickly exits that setting. He's arrested later, spends 14 years in different moments in prison. He's tortured. He's, he's he, in different times. He has to come and give witness and testimony later after he was released. Did these things really happen? There'd be a time he'd take his shirt off and show the 18 marks. There'd be years that he would spend in solitary confinement. And he was a man that was sought with great wisdom and great encouragement time and time again. Sabina spent three years in, in, a, in a work camp herself. And one of the things that Rich Wormbrandt did while we're telling his solitary story is that he would found what is known as Voice of the Martyrs, a, a prolific ministry. And here's the desire that Rich wanted to say is, he, he wanted to say, so often we go, oh, we have to help those poor persecuted Christians. He goes, no, we, we, we in the Western church can go encourage them. That's, that's good. But we have so much to learn from them. He wanted to give them voice. Voice, he wanted to have their stories told in such a way that as his story is told, we can learn so much from them and we can encourage them and we need to have this reciprocal relationship that we are deeply connected together. Because as much as we want to talk about it, we talk about being in the lion's den and being in the fire, there's a whole other level where people go that we have not experienced in regards to martyrdom and being persecuted. And friends, those are our brothers and sisters. And today we get to pray for them. We get to seek the very spirit of God would not only fall upon us and remind us that we are not alone, but that they are loved and they are not alone as well. Would you stand and let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Let me give you this quick charge. Walk out, my friends, with the presence of God, with the power of God and praising God. Would you say one more time to those around you, you are not alone? Let's hear it. You are not alone. Lord God Almighty, thank you that you go with us. Thank you that you work and move in our midst. We trust, Lord, that your spirit would encourage those who are being persecuted because of their faith. Lord, may we help give voice to martyrs and those who are persecuted. May we encourage them and may their stories, Lord, inform us. And Lord, for those who feel like they are standing alone in a lion's den right now, Lord, I trust that your power and presence is gonna fill them. And we give you praise in your mighty name, amen.